This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So our primary goal on Money Talks each week is to answer your personal finance questions. But we also try to come up with uh, topics that are interesting to you. And today we're going to talk about that monthly spending plan, your budget. It's an important tool that helps you maintain Oh, financial. no, he said a bad word. He said budget. <laughs> Well, that's funny because years ago we 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 established that that we yeah. called the monthly spending plan <laughs> right. seems much more doable than a budget, uh, but it is an important tool to help you stay on track each month. Uh, we'd like to hear your personal finance questions this morning, but also if you have a successful way of managing your finances, we'd always like to hear. Let you call in and brag and share with other listeners. So contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Ryder. Um, the, before we came on the air, we were both discussing how we were fairly, very, very fortunate this week, past weekend, with uh, dodging weather. And certainly thoughts go to those uh, people in the Delta who are struggling with it. it was really a devastating tornado. Absolutely. And, uh, hopefully uh, the repair will go well with that, and, and, and eventually the, the towns can kind of get back on their feet. But uh, financially speaking, what, what caught your mind this, this uh, week? Yeah, so, I, I mean, speaking of that, this is something we usually bring up during hurricane season. It's, it's just preparedness and also in the wake of a disaster, if you were unaffected like uh, we and many of our listeners fortunately were, how can you help? And, and I think it's important to be generous and give without strings attached in times like these. Uh, but it's also important to watch for scammers. You want to make sure your money is going to the right place. You want to make sure it is being used effectively. So there are probably, if you're local, if you're in Mississippi, there's probably organizations, your churches. I'm involved with my Rotary Club, and I know they had already immediately started raising money and, and sending supplies over there. Uh, things like that, smaller groups who are maybe on the ground already. So pay attention to what they're doing, and, and you can help out through them. Uh some of those organizations may be tax deductible. So that's if you're giving for a tax deduction as well, that's great. But in circumstances like these, it's always okay to give without expectation of a tax deduction. Uh, pay attention to the social media of those organizations that are doing that work. And also local news. I was reading there is one, there was a, a, a newspaper in Issaquina uh, County, I believe that's the county Rolling mm -hmm. Fork is in, and it was a it was a one woman show, and she was on the ground, uh, still uh, putting out information, and and that just provides valuable context for people to understand what's going on. Um, but bigger financial news: we talked a couple weeks ago about Silicon Valley Bank, a large bank that failed. They do have that bank has been sold. So again, the process is the FDIC steps in, they open the bank up the next day so that everybody can still access their money. A bank, and then they and then they try to sell the bank. 
and they can sell it in parts. Yeah, banks have a bunch of loans. They have securities. They might have other branches. They have sold the bank to uh, First Citizens, which is a bank out of Raleigh, North Carolina. So they take on those deposits. They service the depositors. And in return, they also – and that's that's the work. That's a, that's a liability. They get the cash, but if people want the cash back, they have to give it to them. So that's a liability of theirs. But the asset they get are all the loans that they get to service. And uh, hopefully those loans will earn interest. And that, that's how they help pay for it. So – it's a really interesting structure. Uh, it, I'm not exactly sure how the kind of gap between what it was worth at once and, and what that bank paid for kind of works out. But uh, that is kind of uh, wrapping up that saga. And I feel like that went pretty quickly. That went, I think, a little slower than the FDIC would have normally liked. And uh, But it went fairly smoothly. And there have been a lot of a lot of talk about other banks, but so far, uh, I mean, I'm going to knock on wood, but uh, things seem pretty steady out there. A couple of follow-ups there. Um, first of all, if you had a loan, I mean, you you can't just say, "Well, no, I'm not. I don't want to." I mean, it's because it's no, sold. Kev- you're, no, okay. no, Kevin. All right, Ke- Kevin, did you did you owe Silicon Valley Bank some money? <laughs> Secondly, so. When a bank buys the bank, does that is it just the assets, or could it be include the physical bank locations? Yeah, it could include all sorts of things. So Silicon Valley Bank obviously did have physical locations. I don't know if if, if First Citizens is buying those locations because again, they're based in Raleigh. I don't know. They may have locations nationwide. They may just be looking to expand, so they may want those locations, and they may buy the locations just to sell later. Because again, that that is something they can. Value that they can have and do something with. So, uh, but Silicon Valley Bank also had a, a wealth management division. I believe that uh, First Citizens is getting that wealth management division, which hopefully, hopefully, clients will stay there and they'll continue to make money off of that. Uh, they have the loans, which were kind of the unique product of the bank. That bank loaned uh, to a lot of tech companies, and I know a lot of tech companies are locating in Raleigh, so it probably makes a lot of sense for them to do that. They can. Continue servicing that, and yes, those people who borrowed money will have to now pay their money back to First Citizens. Um, they also had treasuries and stuff. I don't think First Citizens is buying the treasuries because it's not. It's not like they could get a special deal on that. It's pretty pretty well marketed securities. And then finally, this I guess has been a trend in the banking industry for what maybe the last twenty years or so. The whole, re- I mean, because you're right, it's like that seems odd that a bank in Raleigh, North Carolina, would buy mm-hmm. a bank on the complete other coast of the country. Yeah, so and and I'm not sure that they may immediately cuz they can kind of do whatever they want with it now. It's 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 their bank. Uh but they may rebrand it totally. They're like, "Hey, you were a customer of um Silicon Valley, you are now a customer of First Citizens. Welcome." They may do it like that. And we've seen a lot of bank mergers in Mississippi over the past uh decade or so. So plenty of people are probably familiar with that process. They may keep the Silicon Valley brand for a while and just maybe start new business under their own brand. So yeah, it's really uh, unclear, but people are very comfortable with online banking. And I feel that Silicon Valley Bank customers probably were very, very comfortable with online banking. So that probably makes it a lot easier for them to do. Uh, but as far as keeping a location, it may make sense to still keep a location because, again, they do have a probably do have a lot of customers who are actually physically located in California in Silicon Valley. And it might just be useful for uh, good customer service practices there. Yeah, I know I've had my checking account for years, and I know it's gone through at least 
two or three name changes, and that's interesting when you see, uh, like uh, just recently in the metro area here, uh, Cadence Bank has popped mm-hmm. up, and I think that they bought out. Um, I asked Nancy about this last week, and now I don't remember what she told me. Yes, no, there was a was it Cadence? I always forget which one it was, but there were two banks, Cadence and Bancorp South, I believe, uh, merged, and it's I, I believe the Cadence name is is what's what's surviving. And I think uh, Wells Fargo seemed to big, give a bigger footprint, I guess, uh, in the last several years, if I remember correctly. Yes, well, and so. Wells Fargo is one of those top five banks, so and I, I believe they grew a lot over the. Um, a little while ago from buying up smaller banks or, or or taking over smaller banks. So that that could have easily happened for a lot of folks. And then, of course, Regions, which is the bank I'm currently with, is one of the, the bigger banks, I think, too. So Yep, absolutely. All throughout the Southeast, which is good if you go on trips because then you can get an ATM and you see the friendly green sign and you know that you're being well taken care of. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the friendly green sign, uh-oh. <laughs> The marketing hasn't affected me at all, though, so don't worry about that. Is that why you have a green car? We were just talking about your green car. This is and his, and and his actually wait, his microphone cover is green. This the, man, the green of my car is actually close to the region's green. <laughs> okay, so uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're always looking for your personal finance questions. That's the main reason that we're on the air each Tuesday. Uh, but to fill in the time between your calls, we always like to pick uh, topics that we think will be of interest to you. And so today we are talking about the monthly spending plan, the dreaded B word, your budget. And simply put, it's it's a way to track income and expenses over a specific time period. Um, so, Ryder, what, why is it important to have a, a financial plan, a budget, a spending plan each month? So you don't run out of money, Kevin. Uh, so I think it's very important to understand your spending habits. Just having a very good idea of, one, what is the total dollars that you're spending in general? What does it really take for me to live on? Because people – well, should know what their salary is. They should know what they're bringing in. And so they should know as well how much is going out. And and they should hope for a a healthy margin of safety there that they're able to save or is able to buffer for emergencies, of course, pay their taxes and things like that. So and then when you break it down, when you look and say, okay, well, I'm spending $1,000 a month and you look at it and you say, oh, I'm spending 500 on food. Uh, Well, we have to eat, but is there anything we can do? Is that a lot? Is that a little? Uh, When we spend less, does that feel okay? If we only spend 400, are we hungry or are we actually just perfectly happy with it? And we we realize that there's no point to spend more than 400. Uh, If you have debts or you have other financial obligations, maybe you're saving up for a house, maybe you're saving up for a move, maybe you're saving up because you just have something you want to buy or holidays are coming, you want to save up for gifts. Um, It helps you reach those sort of goals of paying off those debts and uh, and, and reaching those concrete goals when you understand how much uh, you have coming in and going out. You're listening to Money Talks. You can listen back to previous episodes at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, and then you get to listen to all of the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're looking for your personal finance questions. In between time, we're talking about creating and sticking to a budget, your monthly spending plan. But we do have a couple of calls to get to. Mike's on the line from Hernando. But first, we'll go to Henley Field, and Cleon is on the line. Good morning. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. I just wanted to offer a suggestion 
for couples because I wish I had saved my my figures. But back in 1972, I put pencil to paper and figured out that there was no way that I could afford to take a job. I made too much money as a housewife, and what you spend is not taxed. Uh, uh, cooking from scratch, outside of outside of what underwear and shoes. Um, I made most of our clothes, closed the drapes to keep the heat out in summertime, opened them to let the sun in in winter, um, did for myself. Uh, I remember when I was working in the kitchen and my husband passed behind me and asked what I was doing, and I told him, well, I'm, I'm turning 29-cent chicken into $2 chicken because I was cutting it up and freezing it uh, in portions that I would use to cook, that if people would stop and think what it costs, this is when gas was 29.9 cents a gallon. When people would stop and think what it costs to commute for the kind of clothing it takes to do it, for the expenses at home that you cannot control because you're not there so much of the time, uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of couples could profit from thinking about it this way. Yeah, so that's interesting, and I really like that you said that you put pencil to paper and figured out that. And and so this is, you know, for some people they might fi- look at their spending and and see that okay, well, like you, uh, well, am I spending so much on the things that are keeping me in a job? You know, w- when I have a job, then I need to uh, pay for my clothes because I can't make them. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I think feel like a lot of a lot fewer people are making their own clothes these days. But do I need to pay for a car that's going to get me to work? And do I need to pay for that commute? And is it a long commute? Is it worth it to continue doing that? Am I spending money? Is the job itself too expensive? Would it make sense to take a lower paying job closer to home or that had more flexible hours? Or like you said, not at all. And especially that. The only only figure that sticks in my mind was the, the last number that decided it, that if I could have traveled no farther than 15 minutes, excuse me, 15 miles each way, and if I could have cleared $15,000 a year, it would have been a break-even proposition money-wise, but mm-hmm. it would have sacrificed the lifestyle. Yeah, and that's an important consideration. Lifestyle considerations, not having a job allowed her to make sure she prepared food in an economical manner, made sure she was able to take care of the house, made sure she was uh, possibly you know, one issue that comes up a lot these days is, is child care, something that uh, now that I have a child, I'm talking with a lot of friends who uh, we talk about the cost of child care and how one or another couple is able to afford it. And that's a big debate amongst people, especially if you have multiple multiple children and you have to hire help or you know uh, hire someone to help clean the house or take care of the children in the morning or take them to daycare it can become more expensive than what you may make it work and so you need to look at well what are the benefits of me working of course if you're on a career path and it is it is what gives you fulfillment and it is going to be lucrative in the future then it probably still makes sense to make the uh, have the expense of child care that, that allows you to go further because that's not going to be forever yeah they'll, they'll go to school at some point although some people do send their children to expensive schools and again uh, maybe a case of uh, not being able to afford that lifestyle 
All right, uh, Cleon, thanks for the call. And, uh, you know, a quick follow-up there, too, is that she mentioned some kind of simple things that saved money. And I know when we talk about the monthly spending plan, that, that this comes up, that people might – the first thing might be, well, I, I can't cut expenses, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of just take a look at it, there are some ways that you can uh, cut back on it and uh, and, and save money and, and, and go that way, that way. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate the thing that she said. She said she put pencil to paper on that. And also she said that she uh, was turning – I love that. Dude, she turned 29 cent chicken into $2 chicken. So she knew the price of the alternatives. And so that's another thing that you do when you look at your budget. You say, okay, well, I'm currently spending, I'm currently spending $2 on chicken. Is there a way I could spend only 29 cents on chicken? Uh, and Cleon did figure out a way she could spend only 29 cents on chicken instead of $2 on chicken, which I think, I, I think that was really great. A lot of, a lot of lessons there all packed into a brief statement. I love it. And it might be that you start cooking and find it something that you enjoy doing. And so that might be, you know, uh, something that turns into a passion or whatever. So uh, we got another caller on the line. And so we say good morning this time to Mike in Hernando. Mike, go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, Good morning, you guys. I've lived all over the country. I was in television news from California to New York and I moved to Mississippi 25 years ago. And what I wanted was a Mississippi bank. And I banked with Bancor South. In the interim, Bancor South merged with Cadence, and now it's Cadence Bank. And a lot of people in this area were upset, first with the name change, and then you wondered, well, is it no longer a Mississippi bank? Is specifically wanting a local state bank like Trustmark's a Mississippi bank, but is it? You know, I mean, nowadays, no telling who owns the bank could be somebody in California owns it. Is that a, a kind of a useless prerogative to want a local or state bank when nowadays there's no guarantees uh, a bank in and of the state. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Actually, we were talking about that uh, in between uh, on our on the break. Is so one thing about Cadence, Trustmark, well, previously Bancorp South, all these larger banks, they are all publicly traded. So the owners are people across the country around the world uh, largely institutions of course local banks probably are do have more local ownership but I, I always find there is something about supporting local businesses be it uh, going to a local restaurant or going to a local store rather than a chain or going to a local bank um, however you can I think the important thing about it is the sort of understanding of the community and the customer service that you're getting from somebody. And you can have a banker who does take the time to understand the community, understand your needs and your community needs um, very well, even though they work for a larger bank. So I, I wouldn't feel bad about going to a larger bank uh, that is you still feel meets your needs but I do I do definitely understand uh, and 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 support folks who want to support uh, the local banks I will say there are a, a lot of the local banks are much smaller banks uh, ones that are only in the state of Mississippi are usually much smaller I think I want to say um, uh, bank first is the uh, one of the kind of only in Mississippi banks, maybe some branches in Alabama. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so that's one way to get a local one. But again, if if a local bank is also not meeting your needs, then I don't know that that matters. And just for the record, Cadence, they are now, I mean, they are using Tupelo, uh, Mississippi as their headquarters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to be forever. Uh, I don't know what their kind of expansion plan, but th- that does seem to be they're still 
ultimately uh, supporting Tupelo by remaining there? Well, my prerequisite was wanting to support Mississippi and Mississippi investors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wanted a Mississippi bank. And then when they merged with Cadence, and I know Cadence is not a Mississippi bank, but they took the name. Yes. And a lot of people in this area were upset. And I left my money there, and I figured, well, what the heck? They're still out in Tupelo. Yeah, well, and and, and Nancy and I were talking about the the names. Um, Bank names seem to be getting more and more generic so that they can seem a little less regional. If you want to expand outside of the South, then you don't want to have South in the name of your bank. Uh, I I will say of the large banks, um, especially something like that was uh, Bancorp South or, or or trust mark the larger banks, the publicly traded banks. One of the big benefits is that they do keep their headquarters. A lot of their knowledge base and a lot of their support goes to where their headquarters at. So um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of supports what you're saying. And and I will say again, benefit uh, they are still listing that their headquarters are Tupelo. Again, I don't know how centralized that is. Uh, how centralized those operations are, or if it's kind of just, well, we say it's Tupelo, no, we have an office in Tupelo. I, I can say this. I've been out there. They're, in, they're building everything huge. Uh, it's a gigantic bank, and that was the confidence I had in them to stay with, with Cadence now because it's a huge bank, and the operations out there are, are tremendous. And, you know, I know it's still local investors, Mississippians are in the bank, so it's not – it was just really the name change that kind of got everybody. But you have to get used to that. Banks change. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Mike, thanks for your call. Uh, we appreciate your call. Interesting conversation. And I will say, uh, Ryder, I couldn't get my uh, change when it, when it was a loan, but if my assets are in a bank and I don't like the new bank, I can pull it out and move to another one. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I tell people how, all the time, how it's, it's actually a lot easier to change your bank than you think. Uh, it's just, well, I, I understand if, if, if your kind of balance is a little tight, again, let's look at your budget and see how that goes. If your balance is a little tight, it might be hard, but a couple of strategies, we, we talk about credit cards and using those to carry your transactions so you just make one payment. If you're making a lot of transactions on a credit card instead of a debit card and direct deposits, then that will help. Uh, and also, if you're able to move a month or so of expenses into a new bank while you get everything moved over, don't forget any of your, uh, don't forget any of your bills. Very important to pay your bills, guys. But it, it can be easier to move your bank than you think. You could do it in a weekend. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Well, we had a couple of calls last uh, uh, last segment, and we're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. Um, between time, uh, we are talking about budgeting, our monthly spending plan, but also have sort of gotten off on a side tangent, which we often do on the show, but it's uh, – personal finance related and interesting. So we might uh, chat about that as well for a little while. Uh, Ryder, we've talked about banks and bank Mm -hmm. names and that sort of thing. Um, Can there only be one first bank of wherever? No, I don't really understand how some banks all seem to have the same name. So we were just looking and you can. uh, So uh, we, we did pull up a list of there are 67 FDIC insured banks based in Mississippi. Uh, obviously, on the high end, you have things like Cadence and Hancock Whitney and Trustmark and um, Renaissance, very large banks. And on the on the smaller end, you have uh, Farmers and Merchants out of Baldwin, Mississippi, Citizens Bank of 
Columbia, Mississippi, the People's Bank in Ripley. I feel there's a lot of banks called the People's Bank. I feel like Citizens, it's, that's a really fine, upstanding name for a bank. And in fact, again, we mentioned that Citizens Bank of Raleigh, North Carolina, not again, Raleigh, Mississippi, although there may be one in Raleigh, Mississippi. It's the one that, that bought uh, Silicon Valley Bank, catapulting itself to one of the largest banks in the country. There is another Citizens Bank, which is, I think, also just called Citizens Bank, uh, that is w- one of the largest banks in the country, uh, not, not, not the same size as kind of the, the J.P. Morgan Bank of America situation. But uh, I don't know. I don't know who, who allows this, this utter confusion of names. But I don't know. Maybe they need to have like a little – like a, a, unique, a unique number on the end. Um, Citizens Bank number 12. <laughs> Also, I would feel sorry for if, 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 especially in a small town, if the other bank comes in first and is the first bank of wherever, that if you open your bank, you probably have to call yourself the second bank of wherever. So yeah, absolutely. That that's tough. But yeah, so uh, again, kind of like Mike was saying, wanting to support local banks, uh, you can. You can go on the uh, FDIC website. We'll help you find FDIC insured institutions. There are uh, we we did find a list of sixty seven uh, based in Mississippi, but you can you can definitely find all sorts of banks and and of course make sure they are make sure your deposits are going to be FDIC insured because you don't want to you don't want any accidents to happen. We're talking about budgeting, the monthly spending plan. And, uh, you know, um, Cleon used that phrase, and we said it a couple of times, pencil to paper. So there are apps and programs mm-hmm. that you could buy to start a budget. But really, to get started, put pencil to paper Absolutely. and do what? Uh, so put pencil to paper and write things down. Is that the correct answer? Uh, so, yeah, I, what I would say, also a good activity is if you do put your spending on a credit card or on a debit card, get those accounts where you your spending comes out of and and kind of highlight the things that are regular spending, maybe categorize things. There's a lot of different approaches. Some people want to say categorize, okay, this is groceries, this is dining out, this is entertainment, this is this, that, and the other. Categories like that. Uh, one method I've started using is what is not – category so much, but how easy it is to change that spending. So my electric bill, look, I can't really do a whole lot about that. I can I can switch off a few lights. I can use the AC a little bit less, but I have to pay that electric bill. I have to pay things like gasoline and maintenance on my car. I have to pay my mortgage. Um, I pretty much have to pay for groceries, although I have a little wiggle room there. But dining out, movie tickets, uh, travel for you know, for fun, I don't have to do that. So I can – those are the categories that I lo- look at. You know, how much can I affect it or versus uh, how much is, is locked in. And so, yeah, just it's adding all those numbers up and kind of seeing, seeing where you are is, is – that is where you start. I like that because you're right. I, you know, I tried to do the, the category one a couple of times and then you uh, – maybe this is just me, but I get stuck between, well, does this go in this or this mm-hmm. or that? Or, right. But I like the idea of the priorities because, again, you know, as you said, these are the ones that you, you can't mess with. And then as you get down there, that's where you can find the wiggle room and that's where you can find to save the money in, in your budget. And, and that's where you might think, OK, so it, for me, dining out, I always bring that up as an example. That is something I have a lot of control over because I could eat out less often. I could order less expensive items off the menu. I could, I could pack my lunch more often, as uh, as the case is sometimes, or I could go to less expensive restaurants. So that's something where I have a lot of control over. 
And uh, also, that's something where I, I can see, okay, well, I spent too much in my dine in, in, in that category, so I need to cut back in some way. And also, that tells me, okay, say, say I have travel and gifts and dining out and clothes, uh, you know, and so I can say, okay, well, if I really want to spend that money dining out, then I'm going to have to cut back in something else. And I'm going to have to cut back in something of that very, of that discretionary category. Uh, whereas if you just have food versus uh, gas bill versus car maintenance, then it's not exactly as clear where you're going to cut from in order to maintain your car, for instance. Uh, Liz Gill is uh, manning the phone lines this morning, and she says her favorite bank name is the Fifth Third Bank. <laughs> Fifth Third Bank. Wait, but did Fifth Third Bank wasn't – didn't they merge with another and become <laughs> – truest which is which is maybe your least favorite bank name <laughs> um yes yeah, so i like a lot of great names out there fifth cubed bank would be kind of cool if, you know but yeah. and so that must be there's 15 banks there somewhere i guess anyway <laughs> we digress because we have a caller on the line so let's get to steve's question steve from ridgeland is on the air with us go ahead steve hi i had a question about uh, credit unions are they local and uh What's the difference between banks and credit unions? And I'll just hang up and listen to your comments. All right. Thanks for the call, Steve. Yeah, that's a great question. So credit unions are, by and large these days, very, very similar to banks. They have different regulators, but effectively all the regulations are kind of a copy of each other. I don't I don't know and, and I'm probably got some some bankers who are fuming and about to call in and say, Oh, we're actually regulated much differently and we would like to tell you that. Uh, and that's fine. Please do call in. Uh, but for the consumer it's gonna be very similar. A, a big difference is the structure. So as a depositor, you are an owner of the credit union, whereas with a bank, depositors and owners are different people, which allows people to take on different amounts of risk, right? If you're a depositor, you're not taking on any risk. You want your money to be there. You're willing to accept that they hardly pay you any interest, but you get the service of being able to write some checks, being able to deposit some money, being able to withdraw some money, and being able to see where your money is. And and, and that is all you want. That is ironclad. Uh, whereas if you are an owner of the business, then you are taking the risk of, well, if they successfully grow and open more branches and make more loans and such, then I will benefit from that. But you are not worried about, oh, my money will always be there. With a credit union, they typically are much, much smaller. And so, yes, they tend to be local, although there can be some that are, are spread far and wide. There, there are some that maybe are not only online, but do do a lot of online business. I know historically they were you had to have some sort of thing in common. Maybe it was a empl- specific employer, a specific location. A lot of times now credit unions, it's just if you open some special credit union account, which establishes you as a member, then you can start banking with them. Um, they're very, I, I think it's that's an interesting option for folks who really want to commit to banking locally. Uh, of course, uh, with the big thing is always, are you going to be able to get the customer service that you need? I don't worry too much about folks who, if as long as you're under the FDIC insurance limit uh, with credit unions, it is it's very similar, but it's like instead of FDIC, it's like NCIC. It's like National Credit Union Insurance Corporation or something like that. Um, 
But it's very similar rules there. I uh, wouldn't worry as long as you just need some basic services. The main thing you want to look for is any extra services that they might offer. And uh, for instance, will they will they do a car loan for you? Will they do a personal loan for you? Can you get your credit card through them? Uh, do they do they help with other things? Some some might have uh, financial education for you. Uh, but then, how is that customer service? If it takes, if you uh, if you see a, a mistake on a check or, or or something bad, you know, somebody has unauthorized access to your account and it takes you too long to get help on that, then then that's a problem. But otherwise, yes, they're similar, uh, similar operations. They are have different ownership structure, uh, but then they also do have similar regulation. But as you mentioned, orig- traditionally, uh, um, credit unions were a specific group of people like yes. teachers or state employees mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. But as time the has friends evolved. Friends of Kevin, the Friends of Kevin credit union. <laughs> but other thing, it's interesting to see kind of which ones, because I know, especially down in Florida, when I go to visit my brother down there, Navy uh, Federal Credit Union mm-hmm. is quite big. Uh, and even here in the metro area, uh, Keesler Federal, I've seen a couple of branches of. So it's interesting to see which ones yeah. kind of try to expand. Yeah, like that, that one's yeah, expanded from uh, from on the coast, from the Keesler Air Base. Mm-hmm. So there are, I guess, some common budgeting strategies. Uh, a couple come to mind. Ryder, are there any ones that you think are uh, especially effective? So there's a classic. I think this is a classic Dave Ramsey one is the envelope system where you say, OK, uh, you basically predetermine where you're going to spend your money. You're going to say, OK, well, we're, we're just only spending $300 on groceries. So you, you write groceries on an envelope, you stick it in there. I'm only spending uh, $200 on car maintenance and gas. So you stick that in the car maintenance and gas. I'm only spending $100 on on gifts or uh, travel or clothes or whatever categories uh, come up and you just stick that in an envelope and you spend only that. And when you run out, then you are out. Uh, that's that's a very strict, I feel it's very punitive. That That is a great place to start though, because you really, really understand where your dollars are going. And and you have to adjust. The first few times you might say, oh, I'm going to have to spend X dollars on this and X dollars on this and X dollars on this. And it turns out actually, oh, wow, this was, I kept going over in this because just costs are what they are. But I found it very easy to save money on this. So you can adjust those until you get it right. Um, there's another method called the zero-based budget uh, where all your money is kind of assigned a role, and that includes expenses, savings, debt payments. So every dollar has a role. Uh, there's a great online – you can – they do have an app, but it started out as an online system. You could just learn and do it in, say, a spreadsheet or something called You Need a Budget. Uh, I know some people who love that method. It's the, the whole idea is every dollar has a role, and including future dollars, because sometimes you have uh, your car insurance only comes up every six months, maybe. And so you can go ahead and start assigning those dollars a role to your car insurance uh, beforehand, so you don't just all of a sudden have a really expensive month. And then sometimes when people are making a budget, they just need some guidelines of where to start. Really classic place to start is uh, something like a 50, 30, 20. Just, just pick, some, pick some proportions of how much are you going to spend, and that's the 50%. Spend half your income. 30% goes to uh, – so 20% might go to savings, debt repayment. I usually – again, we usually say – 
15 to 20% for retirement savings sometimes is a good guideline. I usually don't think you need a regular savings amount for just cash savings beyond that. But w- once you can afford it, absolutely be working in a higher and higher savings amount. Um, and then sometimes it's you know spending on necessities versus uh, wants. Uh, and we were talking about the discretionary, your dining out and your travel. So that's the 50, 30, 20. It just, it just allows, it just gives you a good starting point and tells you, all right, here's a good, uh, here's a good reminder. Here's a good border to come up against when you're, uh, spending those dollars. And I think one of the important things you said there was it's got to be flexible. You know, if you've got your budget and it works and working, but there's a change in your situation, don't feel like you have to stick with it. It's got to be a flexible uh, tool to use as, uh, as you go along. Yeah. If, if, if you're, if you're hurting yourself with your budget because you're not reallocating those dollars, uh, then that budget is not going to work for you very long. Uh, So that's why you have to make it flexible. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We've been taking your personal finance calls this morning as we talk about budgeting. And we do have a caller on the line. I promised we would get to Chico in Oxford. Uh, Chico, you are on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I'll offer an addendum to, I think it was Mike, the dude who had lived all over the country and called in about Cadence Bank. Yes. Uh, I'll offer a little bit more on that. Um, I was a customer, and I still am a customer of that bank, and I was one of the people that was very upset when they changed the name from Bank of Mississippi to Bancorp South. I mean, that could be South Florida, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I was also upset. When uh, the Bank of Mississippi tore down the Hotel Tupelo in downtown Tupelo to build the big glass and steel building that they have now. Mm. And I have heard, I've heard that there's some old codgers around Tupelo who are still upset because they changed the name from Bank of Tupelo to Bank of Mississippi. (laughs) Ooh, so it, this runs deep. This runs deep. And I mean, that's interesting. Right. That's, that's interesting as well that you point out, you know, maybe, I mean, even a local bank can be making decisions that you don't necessarily agree with. But, uh, but I do feel you, uh, you know, they probably still are more sensitive to local issues and, and, and local, uh, local wants and needs uh, than, say, a, a Bank of America, which who knows what that started as, you know, a little, that might have started right. out as Bank of Bank Ayuka. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, maybe. So let, let me tell you one more thing. I, I am in disagreement with about Bank of Tupelo slash Bank of Mississippi slash Bancorp South slash <laughs> Bank of Bank of Bank of Bank of what? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they're like La Bamba or something. Um, they 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 bought the naming rights to the Coliseum in downtown Tupelo. And for a while, it was Bancorp South Arena. Now it's Cadence Arena. Mm-hmm. I think they should call it the Elvis Presley Arena and pay for that. Ah, right. <laughs> yeah. The bank, bank of Elvis Presley maybe is what's coming next. I feel like Cadence, oh, Cadence though, is, is it's not a great name for a bank, a but it, I think it is right. a decent name for a sporting arena because I feel like Cadence is something that comes up in, you know, especially like track and field and long distance running, which you don't want to picture your banker running when you give him your money. Um, so that's why. I, that's why. That's my opinion on the name right there. All, all the announcers, especially Felder on MPB, have a nice cadence. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. Hey, but I am gonna. I am gonna stick with cadence for this one reason because 
Me and my dog, Cassidy, we know which ones of the drive-thrus have biscuits to give her. Ah, well, okay, so let, let it be known, bankers. Uh, if you want Cassidy's business, you better offer some nice little treats. That right. is exactly right. <laughs> Thanks, Chico, for right. your call. So, Ryder, let's uh, maybe spend a few minutes talking about um, for parents that have kids. Mm. What are some ways that and I and I, we've talked about this on previous shows. It's it's kind of never too early to get started. But if uh, too early. if parents have younger kids or maybe middle school, even uh, what are some ways that they can start teaching them about responsible money management? Uh, yeah, basically, once coins are no longer a choking hazard for your child, <laughs> you can start teaching them about money. I guess maybe start them on a credit card first uh, so that they don't choke on that. No, um, the Consumer uh, Protection Finance Bureau, uh, CFPB, uh, or consumerfinance.gov, they have some really good resources that I like. Uh, the Money As You Grow resources, starting from young children, school-age children, teens, etc. And those are just some things. There's some lessons, some activities, uh, some some things that they can do. Um Paying them for additional chores is a great way to start learning kind of the value of money, why we get money, how we get money. Um, and I, I, one of the methods that is, gets talked about a lot and I like is a nice, clean, simple one is uh, three jars, a spend, save and give jar. Some parents like doing a tax jar. I feel I feel like that's an important lesson, but it's okay, it's a little too harsh when you're young. Um but when you give them a dollar, break it up and put it in the – not physically tear it up. Put it in coins. Uh, or you, when you give them $3, spread them out amongst the jars and say, okay, this is what you can spend. You know, you can spend it this week. You can spend it next week. Spend it whatever you want. Uh, the save, maybe only once a month or maybe only once a year even can you access that. But they get to see how that grows. They get to see how that accumulates. And I know some parents like also adding a little bit of interest to that. Uh, and then – uh, spend, save, and give. Uh, the give, I do think it's important to teach children to be generous with their money, be that uh, giving to a charity, uh, be that giving to uh, like the natural disaster to folks in need, uh, spending on other people, uh, gifts for their friends, things like that uh, is, a, is a good way to think about other people have needs as well. Maybe that'll be the tax jar. I, I don't know. Uh, but that's a great method, I think, for once children are earning money from extra um, extra chores and extra things they do around the house uh, to spend, save, and give some of that. Uh, real briefly here, the one that when I did the research on helping kids in high school, one of the ones that came across the list that I think is very important is to, to help kids in high school that are about to go off to college about credit and debit cards because you know when they get on campus, they're going to get offers about that Oof. sort of thing and teach them about that so they don't fall into – could get into some real money problems. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Teach them the pitfalls, of course. I will say an uh, embarrassing little story here, but uh, when I first got out on my own, I had a credit card for one of the department stores and – didn't think you really needed to pay much every month. And so I went to the store to try to buy a pair of shoes. And they said, wait a minute, your credit card has been declined here. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to pay on that every month. So I thought the shoes were free. 
They were Air Jordans, too. I was very disappointed that I didn't get them. Oh, you could have started a phenomenal collection. I'm sure, I'm sure you've made up for it that's, that's where the, my love of shoes must have started from, I'm sure. Hey, uh, if you ever have a topic that you want to hear us discuss on Money Talks, send us an email. It's money at mpbonline.org. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. You can listen back to this or any episode at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. All local MPB Think Radio programs are available as podcasts. The producer for the podcast for Money Talks is Jermaine Flood. So for Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.